Welcome to Exotic Pets. I'm Tracy Hotchner, whom you may know as the dog and cat lady, but I'm wearing a different hat here. With the brilliant collaboration of my co-host, Dr. Doug Mater, the world-renowned veterinarian specializing in exotic animals, we are here to celebrate all the other pets that share people's lives. This show is for people interested in pets that slither, hop, creep, fly, or swim, from bunnies to iguanas, parrots to ferrets, snakes to tortoises. Dr. Doug is going to teach us the physical requirements of these exotic pets and how to manage the often challenging environments and correct diets essential to their welfare. Dr. Doug Mater is the author of the wonderful memoir, The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital. He is recognized worldwide as a veterinary specialist on exotics and is the author of four major veterinary textbooks on reptiles and amphibians. We are proud to have ZooMed Laboratories as the founding sponsor of Exotic Pets. ZooMed has earned its reputation as the number one reptile and amphibian supplier in the world from simple beginnings 45 years ago as a passion project for one man who still runs it. Renowned as the international leader in UVB and heat lighting, ZooMed manufactures all their reptile supplies, accessories, and tools in the U.S., which they test on their own collection of animals, which surround everyone at headquarters. We're also sponsored by Oxbow Animal Health, the one brand that has stood out for more than 30 years as the leader in health and wellness for small mammals. Veterinarians, rescues, and passionate pet parents worldwide trust Oxbow to support the health and happiness of their small pets. Oxbow provides for rabbits and guinea pigs, ferrets and chinchillas, hamsters and gerbils, mice and rats, because these small pets have big hearts and require special nutrition and care. Oxbow has everything needed for their best life, the right hay and nutritionally complete foods, treats and supplements, litter and bedding, and a whole line of enrichment products created so your little loved ones can chew, play, hide, and explore every day. We're also brought to you by the bird food specialist Zupreme, which started with a revolutionary yet simple idea, provide exceptional diets for extraordinary animals. Best known as the bird nutrition specialist, Zupreme creates many foods for birds of all sizes, and they also make a variety of treats to appeal to every sort of bird and enhance their lives. It is with great pleasure, and Dr. Doug Mater's great pleasure, that we get to have an amazing vet as part of our show. Dr. Micah Colas is an extraordinary vet. He wears many hats. He's the chief veterinary officer of Campana Brands, which bought Oxbow Health, which makes all this stuff for small mammals. Those of you who have them already know. Those of you who don't have them yet know that's the best brand, but seriously, like the best brand. He's also got his own animal hospital, Woodland Animal Hospital, and is an adjunct professor at the University of Nebraska and a highly sought-after speaker. So we have a chunk of a really great guy who's here to talk about small mammals, which is his specialty, I guess you could say, although anything with four legs or maybe some things <laughs> with fewer than four legs, I'm not sure, Micah. But You know, mul- multiple legs multiple and feathers legs, and scales yeah. and, and yeah. hair, you know, we, co- we cover them all. Yeah, exactly. So it's just a pleasure. I was so happy that I got to meet you in person and, and you um, ran a, a panel at SuperZoo on animal pet, larger pets like dogs and cats nutrition. And it's just wonderful to be able to share these small mammals with you because I think there's 
enormous misunderstanding in the ownership of small mammals, what they could eat, what they shouldn't eat, and what makes them have a longer, better, healthier life. So that's something we'll talk about in subsequent weeks. But I think the the most important one, the one that Dr. Doug most hoped you would talk about, which I knew nothing about, is a vaccine for rabbits that saves their lives. And I guess that if you don't get RHDV2 for your rabbit, they could be in peril. So can you talk about that? Because so many, it's the I guess the most popular mammal is a bunny. And I don't think that people have a sense that they should or could or might get yeah. vaccinated, right? Yeah, and and just because I can, I, I I love the commentary to nutrition, and and you know I'll save my big big soapbox on nutrition to Good. another discussion. Good. But you know n- nutrition truly is the most important decision that that any pet parent can make, and yep. we don't spend enough time talking about that. But well uh, yeah, I mean specifically Tracy to, to RHDV two. You know you know we've been really fortunate here in the U.S. for the most part of not having any really massively uh, significant outbreaks of unique novel diseases in exotic companion mammals. You know, we've all obviously learned a lot about emerging diseases like coronavirus and others. And so rabbit hemorrhagic disease virus is, is not new to our planet. Um, and there's been a few sporadic outbreaks over the last couple decades here in the U.S., but um, it really wasn't until recently that we truly had, uh, you know, an epidemic. Um, oh, my. Starting in early 2020, you know, we saw this disease kind of come up through Mexico and into North America, or excuse me, into the United States, really starting with Arizona um, and then into Texas and all across pretty much the western seaboard and west of the Rockies. But, you know, as far as RHDV2, um, it, it's what's called a Khaleesi virus. That's just a certain type of category of viruses. And what's kind of unique about it is that it's what's called a non-enveloped or a naked virus. What makes that unique is that it makes it a very environmentally stable virus. So it can survive for long periods of time in the environment, upwards three, four, five, even six months. And so that makes it a really hardy virus um, and obviously increases the likelihood that it can be transmitted and can be spread. So um, we haven't had to worry about these types of diseases in our rabbits, um, but also what's really tricky with RHDV2 is there's other types of RHDV. There's RHDVA, RHDV1, but historically those have only affected certain species. The challenge with RHDV2 is not only does it affect the domestic rabbit, which is the European hare, it also unfortunately affects the majority of our native and natural species. So everything from cottontails to jackrabbits to so on and so forth. It does. And and the bugger of that is not only the horrible morbidity and mortality and death that it causes in our wild populations, but when now you have a virus that can go from domestic rabbits to wild rabbits and back and forth, you know, you can understand just when you've got a virus that's so contagious that has a really high mortality rate, upwards of 50 to upwards of 90% of rabbits that are exposed to this virus, unfortunately will succumb. Um, and oftentimes it's a very quick and unenjoyable death. Um, wow. This is so horrible. So, you you know, said, so it is horrible. Its name is hemorrhagic disease. And obviously you hear the word hemorrhage and you think it doesn't sound like a good thing to happen to anyone you love, especially a bunny. So, I <laughs> no, mean, is it, it internal it, it, bleeding? Is that what takes place? Right. 
Well, that's kind of where it got its name. And, you know, some people actually call and refer to it as, you know, the rabbit Ebola virus, which obviously should strike fear in all of us because we know what Ebola has done. But yes, unfortunately, there's a variety of clinical signs, um, but hemorrhage uh, is one of the more common clinical signs from the nose, from the mouth, from the rectum. It does appear that that's less common in this particular outbreak. Um, but the other common clinical signs we see, you know, loss of appetite, lethargy, uh, they oftentimes have a very high fever, which can lead to seizures, uh, difficulty breathing. And, you know, the other challenge, Tracy, we have to remember is that, you know, rabbits are prey species. And so they kind of naturally know if I act sick, you know, I'm likely going to be eaten. So right, they they're cover really it up. good. They yeah. totally covered up. And so they're really good at masking those clinical signs, which really, even with good owners, you know, is something that we always talk to owners like, hey, your bunny looks at you sideways, you know, give us a call. We want to talk about it. We don't want to just take it for granted. The other challenge is that in wild populations, when prey species don't feel well, what do they do? They hide, right? They crawl right. back in their hole. They crawl right. back in their burrow. And so, you know, while we know that tens and tens of thousands of animals have succumbed to this virus in wild environments, that's probably a gross underrepresentation of the true impact because when a wild rabbit doesn't feel good, it goes back into its hole where it feels protected. But when these rabbits succumb to this virus and sometimes as short as 24 to 48 hours, we really can't, you know, accurately represent the true and, and unfortunately massive impact to wild populations that this virus has probably had. It's it's such a scary idea. It sounds like a really awful Hollywood movie, but about <laughs> bunnies. I mean, who doesn't love bunnies, right? It's not like the, the 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 movie by Hitchcock. The birds were scary birds with mean beaks attack people. Right. There's little bunnies with their big ears yeah. and their wiggly noses, and the idea that they are in jeopardy is something that shouldn't there be like billboards in every town? Yeah, There's so yeah. many owned bunnies. But is right. nobody talking about this? I mean, I remember back in the, I don't know, several decades ago, there was some controversy way before the vaccination issue about humans getting vaccinated, the, about puppies and kittens getting vaccinated, right? And so everyone knew that puppies had to get puppy shots, and any even vaguely responsible person got the shots. And then there was that kind of vaguely anti-vax movement, even among right. very high-level breeders who said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take my dog to dog shows. These are like really expensive, fancy dogs, and they'll get herd immunity. I'll let the the cells shed from everybody else's vaccinated dogs right. and puppies, which was awful thinking, backward, upside-down thinking. But then I think when people discovered that parvo and distemper in puppies kills them really a, a, a harsh and nasty death. And once they've got it, I mean, I happen to have rescued one of my Bedlington puppies when I was a girl from distemper because the vaccine he was given must have been given at the wrong time or not have been viable. Uh, yeah. But he was right. he never looked normal or acted normal. I mean, it actually changed him into like, you know, a survivor kind of pet. But I don't think that people with bunnies even are thinking, well, I don't need to vaccinate because what, my bunny only lives indoors? And in fact, if your bunny did only live indoors and never set foot outdoors at all, would your bunny be at risk? 
Well, you bring up a good point, and I, I think that's one of the challenges we face is because, you know, most rabbit, or excuse me, most dog and cat owners understand that vaccination, if for nothing more than rabies, is an essential part of, of general preventative care. And, right. you know, I'll be the first one to admit, you know, I'm not a believer in just vaccinate for everything because Correct. you should. This mm-hmm. is about, right, doing your due diligence, mm-hmm. understanding your animal, understanding their life behavior patterns, their environment, what are their risks, right? You know, a, a teacup poodle that never leaves an owner's hands is a different situation situation than a German shepherd who lives every day outside. So we always want to educate and make our decision based on the individual. But the challenge to your point is that there's an innate behavior that we know dogs and cats need vaccines, yet that's not an established behavior in rabbits because thankfully, and and let's be clear, thankfully, we haven't had to worry Mm -hmm. about that. So Mm -hmm. there is a huge disconnect between the opportunity to educate the owner. And I still think that you hit an important point. This isn't a generalized, every rabbit should be vaccinated, but it's a matter of awareness and education so that the owner can be aware of the risks and the pros and the cons of vaccination. But here's what I'll tell you. The vaccine is a perfect example of when the government can really work in partnership with private entities and do it effectively. And I know that might be hard for some people to believe, but it does in fact happen. So there's a company called Medgene that's out of South Dakota that really has a unique platform technology that allows them to develop vaccines like RHDV2 very quickly. And and the government, specifically the port of the USDA that's associated with developing, it's called the CVB, Center for Veterinary Biologics, worked collaboratively and proactively to help Medgene apply their unique technology to this emerging virus and get this vaccine on the marketplace as soon as we could. Because before that, we were having to import vaccines from Europe. These were vaccines that weren't regulated and approved in the U.S. It just wasn't a good outcome. Right. So thankfully, we now have a vaccine that not only is domestically produced, it's a vaccine that is produced without having to sacrifice rabbits, which is the way typical vaccines are produced oh, I didn't from a know kill that. standpoint, right, which is not optimal, right? But it's also a vaccine that has gone through the appropriate trials to know that not only is it safe for the animal, but it's extremely effective at at protecting the animals. And so we know the vaccine, you know, there's been, I don't even know, probably at least more than 100,000 doses that have already been administered. And the overall risk to the rabbit is ridiculously low. We also know that it's a vaccine that is extremely protective against a virus that is extremely brutal in terms of mortality and death rates in affected animals. I think Ebola is, is the perfect word. We all sort of have a sense of what that feels like, you know, in terms of jeopardy. So this is Ebola for rabbits. So then the question, becomes. I I adopt a bunny from, let's say, the Berkshire Humane Society. There's a lot of great shelters that have a lot of bunnies for adoption. So those of you who want a right. bunny, please, you know, adopt before you shop because these are pre-owned bunnies for the most part. Right. So they're right. already acclimated to people. Some may already be litter box trained. All of them can be. Most of them can be litter box trained. But the question is, if the shelter hasn't vaccinated, because maybe they don't have the resources to do it, and yet though that bunny's been around other bunnies, and we don't know what its previous lifestyle was, at what age do we vaccinate? Is there a booster that's needed? What's the kind of protocol? Yeah. At a certain age, is it too late, or, or do you have to do it every year? What is the right yeah. way to administer it? Well, all good comments. You know, the one thing I want to first also remind people is, you know, we're really fortunate to have a group called the the House Rabbit Society, um, which is a collective group of rescues across the U.S. who has really kind of taken the bull by the horns and said, hey, we got to help get the word out. So if people have information, want more questions, they can go to House Rabbit Society's website, which is rabbit.org. There's a ton of good information on there that's accurate, up-to-date information regarding the virus. 
um, and so on and so forth. And then as far as the vaccine itself, um, you know, we definitely want to vaccinate every single animal. I mean, okay. that's truth. Now, I want to stop with every owner and say, you know, A, where do you live? Where is the risk? And let me give you a little bit of a snapshot of that. Pretty okay. much everywhere west of the Rockies, um, this virus has become endemic within the pet population, or excuse me, within the wild population. Like it's out there, it's probably never going to go away. Thankfully, and I can say this thankfully, the virus has not spread quite as rapidly as we would have initially feared. I mean, this virus went from coast to coast in Australia in 18 months, yet we're not seeing that rapid of a, of a spread here in the United States. What we're now seeing, though, and which is equally scary, is all across the eastern seaboard, uh, we're seeing these random cases pop up where two or three house rabbits succumb to the virus with no apparent contamination, wow. no apparent exposure, wow. no wild populations. And, you know, Again, a lot of individual circumstances, obviously we don't know all the facts, but when you understand that this virus can survive a long time on basically inhabitant material, unfortunately, it, it really begins to make you think that you know humans are likely transmitting the virus, yes. whether we think we are or not. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's good that we're not seeing it in the wild populations. I think it's only a matter of, of, not a matter of if, more a matter of when. But as far as the vaccine itself, so to start, there is a two-dose regimen to get started. So a booster and then a repeat booster at 21 days, and then it's annual after that. Now, MedGene is still doing the verification studies of efficacy in terms of how well the vaccine works in terms of duration of immunity. I do believe, though, they've completed those studies and it will be an annual booster after that. Another thing that I just I want to point out that I think is really important because, you know, money doesn't grow on trees in Nebraska. Maybe it does where you do. But, <laughs> you know, owners have concerns about cost. Sure. You know, I, again, I want to give Medgene a little bit of props here. I mean, they were the only company producing a vaccine for a virus that, in effect, kills rabbits. You know, there's an opportunity for them to take advantage for of the sure. marketplace, which we all know a lot of human pharmaceutical companies do every single day. They, they really didn't do it. It's a very cost-effective vaccine. That's lovely. Um, I think so you're, it, you'll have to introduce me to Mr. or Mrs. Medgene, as it were, and I'll invite yeah, them on yeah. the show and, and thank them and congratulate yeah. them. I mean, it's hugely life-saving what they've created, and, and they're not gouging people. But, right. you know, I think this is going to require, and to those of you who already have rabbits that are listening or you're considering being a rabbit owner, Think twice. There are costs involved, and you have to be prepared for them. Now, I'm, I don't think that Nationwide, which as far as Dr. Doug and I can figure out, is the only pet insurer that covers small mammals or exotics. It is the only one currently. Currently. Yep, there's another one supposedly getting oh, close, good. but it's well, the only when that one time that I'm comes, aware of that's current. We'll, we'll celebrate them. I don't know if they cover vaccinations, but I just think you have to look at it as one of the costs of animal ownership. And yeah. don't be hesitant, think, okay, so I got to get in the car and I got to give up an hour or however long it takes. And maybe well, you're, if you're lucky, your bunny's cool with making the trip because a, a, a bunny with a good attitude is a great you know, pet. Maybe they don't mind going to the vet the way some cats do, but you're yeah. going to have to do it. I don't see any wiggle room here. You need to get this and then you need to go back three weeks later and get the booster and you just put it on your calendar. I hope that you all get flu vaccines yourself and for your kids. And that's once a year. And you kind of got to do it for your bunnies, right? I mean, it just has to be 
a habit, a new habit. Yeah, and I and I I'll take this time, unfortunately, for the audience to jump on your bandwagon here too. The value of an annual wellness exam for any of our pets yes, for sure. is really understated, mm-hmm. right? You know, and, and mm-hmm. I don't get too caught up in the one year for seven years, but if we think about it, there's some relevance there. So for us seeing a bunny once a year to be able to do a physical exam, be able to get a weight when that munchkin gets to be a senior citizen to do a little senior blood work. I mean, that's all the right proactive preventative wellness care that if you're truly, you know, these are truly members of your home and you care about them that are going to set that animal up for long-term quality of life. Um, And so we get that with the vaccine as well. Um, And that's a habit and a routine that we should be in whether we're vaccinating or not. Absolutely. And we're lucky that it exists for bunnies. We're glad that not more bunnies have succumbed, but this disease is out there and it's coming for you. So, I mean, you know, without sounding too dramatic, you really need to do this because you don't have a bunny because you don't love it. You have a bunny because you really love it. And the longer they can live and the happier, healthier life they can have, the better off, obviously, you are and your kids are if if there's kids in your household as well. Dr. Colas, thank you so much for this. And it's an alarm bell, folks. This is not just like general, you know, what kind of lettuce to feed on a happy day. This is really serious. Right. You got to do it. You don't want your bunny to get the bunny Ebola virus. And I will put a link to rabbit.org, but they sound like a great group, and I probably need to talk to those folks as well. Bunnies are cool, but they're also vulnerable. So let's take the best care of them we can. Thank you, Dr. Colas. Thank you very much. Dr. Doug Mater and I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Exotic Pets and our desire to educate and inspire you to give your exotics their best possible life. This show is brought to you by the wonderful companies that cater to the needs of exotic pets. From Zubad Laboratories, where they make everything you need to keep your reptiles and amphibians in tip-top shape, to Oxbow Animal Health, with health and wellness solutions for small mammals, and Zupreme, the company dedicated to your bird's nutrition. And if you haven't read Dr. Doug's book, The Vet at Noah's Ark, yet, do yourself a favor and pick up a copy.